You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the group think, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the conservative conscience. And welcome back to another exciting week here at the conservative conscience. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back in the house for another week of truth telling of independent thought and news and views that, frankly, you will not hear anywhere else, which is why you guys keep coming back here. Because if other people are saying it, you know what? There's other places to go. We won't focus on it here. We focus on the important issues that are being ignored. And certainly, even in this quiet week, there still is a lot to talk about. Congress is out, as you well know. My analogy from Friday, like someone uh, that does his business in the bathroom and kind of leaves without cleaning up. That's your Congress there. We have an invasion at our border, and they don't really care. The Supreme Court is also pretty quiet. They are back in session this week, but haven't seen any big news there. But it is April 15th, which is a very ominous day for many reasons. It's obviously the sixth anniversary of the Boston Marathon bombing. It is the death of Abraham Lincoln. He was shot on April 14th, which is my birthday, by the way. Um, pretty ominous there. <laughs> also, the Titanic sunk that, that night. Um, but Lincoln didn't actually die until the morning of the 15th. And then, of course, most ominously, it is tax day. Now, I wanted to work backwards and focus first on tax day. If you really think about it, today should be the most important day on the calendar. It really isn't. No one even knows about it, other than, you know, if you didn't meet the deadline of filing your taxes. And I want to talk about why it hasn't been that important, why it should be more important, what made it not be important, and how that ties into the 2017 tax cuts that are so unpopular and why everyone thinks they're getting a tax increase when they really got a tax cut and the, the terrible messaging and strategy behind what Republicans did. So lots to go over today. I might sound a little delirious because I am so tired. Uh, as I go on in life, as I get older, I just can't tolerate a lack of sleep. So last night we had this crazy storm come in. It was just about 15 minutes or so, maybe two, three in the morning. But man, was it insane. I mean, even now, the winds are still howling, and I'm scared I'm going to lose power. So, you know, hopefully we can get this done before anything bad happens. But man, was that scary. The house was shaking. Uh, here in Central Maryland, they were talking about 60-mile-an-hour winds. Um, it was violent as anything. My uh, my grill almost uh, toppled over outside on the patio. It was It was just really, really scary. Uh, so, so yeah, I mean, busy, busy night. I'm also kind of out of it because of allergies. I don't know why it took this late until April to really affect me, but yesterday I did the first mowing, you know, first lawn mowing of the season and oh man, did it get to me? It just, uh, 
got my eyes and everything. So I'm just a little bit tired. Um, you know, just out of it from, from the weekend, but really did enjoy time off, did a lot of gardening, a lot of family time. Hope you guys enjoyed your weekend as well. But, you know, the reason why you got to enjoy your weekends is because we all work very hard during the week. On average, we have to work until around this time of year, around tax day. I think this year, tax freedom days is April 16th. So it's tomorrow. The number of days you need to work just to pay off your taxes. So the amount of your salary that goes into taxes. That's a pretty big deal. And the and and the fact that our government does insane things with our money, the fact that we can't even stop hundreds of thousands of people, now Ebola at our border, we're going to talk about that, diseases at our border, we won't follow the laws, won't follow the underpinnings of the social contract. So why should we pay taxes? I mean, really, if they're going to saddle us with debt anyway by printing money, Um, you know, not protect us from foreigners, give foreigners more rights than Americans. What's the point in us paying taxes, really? I mean, if you think about it, why shouldn't we get tax amnesty? If foreigners could break into our country and get welfare and demand citizenship for their kid, why not us? It's a basic question. Basic question. Here's an article from KENS5, a local El Paso uh, border outlet, not border, I mean news outlet, reporting on the border about a week and a half ago. It's a little bit old. The area between the border fence in El Paso, Texas, and the actual border with Ciudad Juarez, Mexico, has become a landing zone for migrants looking to get asylum in the U.S. So notice, it's behind the border wall. Romero brought the KENS-5 border team to a section identified as a hot zone for illegal border crossings, in an area where agents are often overpowered whenever cartels use asylum seekers to create a diversion to bring across drugs or people who don't want to be caught. Quote, once they've... Once they're ready to send a group for whatever reason, then they'll send them all at once. They'll engage the agents. They'll try to sneak people in and try to exploit that weakness. Sarah Polato traveled with her six-year-old son, Anthony El Salvador. She said she didn't know it would be this easy to cross the border. It was so easy for her that she didn't realize she had already made it to the U.S., Minutes later, Romero, is the border agent, spotted three more people who had just crossed over. Among them, 29-year-old Jessica Maldonado of Honduras, who is five months pregnant. Maldonado said it took her four months to make it to the border. She said it is her biggest wish to give birth in the U.S. <laughs> why, why should we pay taxes for this? No, I mean, really. We have total anarchy. We don't have a government. I mean, really, we, we should pay taxes so it could go for catch and release and to pay for the rope to hang ourselves with? to pay for the cartels and the MS-13 and the drugs to kill us with, and the anchor babies and the welfare to saddle our generations with more debt? I mean, really. But the problem is there is no revolt because tax day is not a big deal. Sadly to say, 
because of withholdings. The way our system is done, I've said this before, if I could change one thing about the way our government operates that I believe would be such a force multiplying change that would spawn a revolt, it would be that April 15th, every April 15th, everyone has to pay all of their taxes, at least income, state and federal income taxes. The problem with the current system is it makes people who don't pay taxes and on net they get back more than they put in think that they do pay taxes. And it makes people who do pay too much in taxes not realize how much they pay and they kind of write it off because it's taken out through withholdings. And then if anything, usually because of the way the system's done, ironically, they get money back. Now, when it comes to the people below a certain income level, including illegal aliens, obviously, they get back more than they put in. Here, let's say you know you pay you know twenty thousand dollars in taxes, you get back two thousand dollars. Oh man, I got a refund. Now, look, I usually the way I'm structured, I usually owe money. I always um, basically take out as little withholdings as possible. Because I see what's left over, and then I'll just flood the zone with uh, IRA contributions, both for me and my wife. So I'll do as m many as as much as I need. Now I know, look down the road, I'll have to pay it back, but who knows what's going to be down the road? So I figure I'll just keep the money now. But um, and then I usually try to break about even. But most people wind up getting money back, and that's the problem. Now I know some of you are small business owners; you do the quarterly payments every month. So you certainly see it, but still the overwhelming majority of people don't get it. And that's the problem. Then obviously, you know, a lot of it's spread out. You got real estate taxes, you got sales taxes, so many sundry taxes and fees you don't even realize. And then certainly the $16,000 a year per family tax of regulation, driving up the cost of goods and services cost of living, but people don't realize this. And that is a big part of our problem because, you know, if, if, if every time people had to do it, we'd have a revolt. Here, how do we stir people up? If anything, you're, you know, you're happy. This is the time of year you kind of get back some money. It's a beautiful system they, they designed. To, to create dependency through the code, but also the people that genuinely pay don't realize it. Now, the problem we have, as you well know, there's a New York Times article that actually admits it. And I, I know these reporters, Ben Castleman and Jim, Jim uh, Tinkersley, because um, Jim interviewed me before during the tax debate, they wrote a piece in the, in the New York Times, face it, you probably got a tax cut. And they, and they basically showed that um, if you're an American taxpayer, you probably got a tax cut last year, and there's a good chance you don't believe it. Now, they have... Um, now, I, I don't know if they're right, their data, but, because they're using tax policy center data, and they have a lot of problems in their input. They claim 64.8% got a tax cut. I thought it was a little higher, but, you know, whatever. But only 39% think they did. Think about that. Only 39% think they did. 
81.7% of people earning between 50 and 75,000 got a tax cut, but only 41.5% based on their survey think they did. 86.6% of those earning between 75,000 and 100,000 got a tax cut, but just 47.9% think they did. And among those earning more than 100,000, 89.5% got a tax cut. Now, to be clear, that's a big range, earning more than 100000 Because, I mean, a lot of people earn more than 100000 Not a lot of people earn more than 200000 And certainly not a lot of people earn three, four, five hundred thousand. 500000 So if you go really high up, actually, there are more people that on net got a tax increase. Most people in the middle, upper middle income level absolutely did. I mean, look, I could tell you I live in Maryland, which is a high salt state, right? State, state and local income taxes, and they capped the amount you could deduct. And the whole debate was over the fact that in a lot of these high salt states, so to speak, New York, New Jersey, Minnesota, Maryland, California, obviously, they a lot of these people would wind up with a net tax increase because even though the rates were lowered, but they can't write up write off all that salt, the um, mortgage interest, you know, because usually houses are more in these places, so you have a larger mortgage, you're paying more mortgage interest, so you get to deduct it more. Obviously, your real estate taxes are going to be more, and you know these states have high income tax levels. But I can tell you, even in Maryland, I still got roughly a twenty eight hundred dollar tax cut. It's hard to tell exactly what the exact number because obviously things change from year to year, your situation, but I'm um, roughly about 2,800. Now, some of that's because I do have three dependents, you, you know, um, so they doubled the child tax credit. If you have, you know, older kids are married, you're an empty nester, that might be a little bit different story. If you're an empty nester, but you own a home, high tax area, I'm curious, you know, what happened there. But I think it worked out that you're not going to wind up paying more. You just might not have gotten much of a tax cut. But anyway, this was the problem. So anyway, everyone got, ironically, they, they got their tax cuts immediately. But it was through the withholdings, and they didn't even realize it. And ironically, the kickback, the refund, was less for more people. So it was like, what the heck? We got less of a refund. But really... Your withholdings were less, but people don't pay attention to withholdings. They pay attention to the refunds. So everyone thinks that, oh, it's Santa Claus. They're getting money. Now, with some people, it is Santa Claus below a certain income level. It's, it's total redistribution of welfare through the tax code. But through other people, they really do pay a lot, but they don't realize it. And this is how, you know, it just tamps down any, any rebellion we'd ever have in this country. What's so frustrating is a lot of people thought, they didn't even get a tax cut. And then there's the other issue, that our tax code is already more progressive than ever before. Ever before. See, what people don't realize is, and look, I know a lot of you pay a lot in taxes. I'm just going to speak for myself. You know... I, I consider myself for any, you know, family that works hard, family level, you're educated, I consider my income total middle, not even middle upper. 
You know, it's just ridiculous. They're like, oh, middle ankle average roller is 40,000. I mean, that's nonsense. I mean, if you live in the East Coast, I-95 Carter, and, you know, you're educated, you're married with a family, have a home. I'm sorry, the average income is not 40,000. That's just nonsense. But, you know, my level, I'm not paying that much, especially after the tax cuts, in federal income taxes. Now, if you add up state of Maryland and you add up real estate and you add up all the, like I said, the sundry things, we want to paying a lot in taxes. But it's not nearly as much as in Europe. The bottom line is the only people that pay a real significant amount are the ones that they don't want to give a significant tax cut to, tax cut to and that's the real wealthy. That's the truth of it. So what it's done is it's created a dynamic where I what I refer to in this country as low tax socialism, where we have all this redistribution of wealth that's being built upon mainly taxing the wealthy and mainly servicing with debt. Remember, other countries don't have the luxury of the prestige of, of U.S. Treasury bonds where we could totally service this debt long term. And get away with it. Although, again, the chickens are coming home to roost now with the interest payments are getting much higher. But until now, we've gotten away with it. So, you know, my my whole chaos theory is I would rather, if we can't fix the problem, I would rather people feel the pain, which is why I'm against more tax cuts without fixing healthcare, without fixing the regulations, without fixing the socialism and dependency, because we have low tax dependency in this country. I mean, you go to Europe, in France, for example, the top, or the, the, not the top rate, the, the income tax rate is like 50%, 50% over 96000 in income. I mean, think about that. That's insane. So the people, you know, people got it. You got to pay for your socialism. And they're used to it. In our country, we're used to much lower rates. That's the problem. We're used to it. So we, we don't we don't feel that pain. I mean, think about it. Under under the new rates, if you're married filing jointly, okay, married filing jointly. From seventy-seven thousand four hundred, all the way up to one hundred sixty-five thousand in income. Okay, that's just a twenty-two percent rate. And keep in mind, while deductions were capped, you still could get up to ten thousand for state and local income tax and real, you know, a mortgage interest deduction and charity. And then there's still things like HSAs, IRAs that that aren't subject to that, and you could still take off even under the new law. Very generous child tax credit. Even from 165,000, again, I'm talking about joint filing jointly, up until 315,000, just 24%. You don't get into the higher 32% until 315,000 and then 35% above 400,000. 
So that's the thing. In Europe, they have fewer deductions, higher rates, and, and it affects the middle class. It's not just the wealthy. Very high rates. So at least they have to pay for it. Here, we don't. Again, a lot of people, I don't want to write it off. I mean, because it is true, we do have federalism here. So we have county, we have state. Now, I don't know exactly, the, you know, the countries in Europe, it does vary. But, you know, it, it's a little bit more than what I'm suggesting. Obviously, you got payroll taxes and then income taxes. But the reality is, we don't pay enough to justify the socialism. So people don't see enough pain in these programs because they don't have to pay for it enough. And then even to the extent they do incur the pain, the government set it up with this withholding system where they don't even realize it. Most people don't get it because you don't go every April and write a whatever, you know, $15,000 check or $20,000 check. Divide it up to your state and your and the feds. You get money back. We're very good at that. That's what we do in order to ensure the money is doled out and that people don't, you know, spend it. That's what we do. But I wish this is what we did. I mean, even real estate taxes, you know, the standard is that it's rolled up into the escrow accounts at your mortgage uh, holder. And um, you know. It just comes out in your monthly payments. You know, if you're if you paid off your mortgage or, or if you're very wealthy and you you know just bought a house straight out, I guess you know then you don't have a mortgage and you know you directly send every six months usually uh, a check to your your county government for real estate taxes. But otherwise, for most people, again, that's it's like it's almost like it's built into the price of the home, the price of the mortgage. You don't even realize it. That's what I wish we could change. But again, you look at the pie, 97% of all federal income taxes are paid by the top 50%. 37.3% are paid by the top 1% in this country. 37.3%. Now, you might think, oh, well, they earn most of the income. No, they earn 19.7% of the income but still pay 37.3%. What if you went the next level down, five, the top 5% up until the top 1%? They pay 20.9%, even though they earn 15.5. That's the reality. You look at the bottom 50%, they pay just 3% of the pie, even though they earn 11.6% of the income. You want to go to middle class from 50 to 25% top tax filers, they earn 20% of the income pie, pay only 11. From 25 to 10, which is, you know, a lot of the working professionals in this country, they earn 21.9% of the pie, but they only pay 16.5% of the tax pie. Therein lies the problem. Our system has already become so progressive. And this is the problem we always have which, with, with every tax bill is that the, the only people who pay a significant amount are the people we, that we, we're unwilling to give a tax cut to significant enough. 
So we make it even more progressive and they don't even realize it because like, I didn't get much back. Well, you don't pay much. That's the reality. For all the talk about the deductions and this and that, as of 2016, this is before the tax cuts, the top 1% still had an effective tax rate, meaning after everything, of 27%. Those from 10 to 5, 14%. And those squarely in the middle class of 25 to 10%, top 25 to 10% of, of tax filers, their effective tax rate at a federal level was just 10.7%, 50 to 25% range, just 7.8% effective tax rate, according to tax data presented by the Tax Foundation. 10.7%, 7.8%. This is not like what you have in Europe. Now, again, you got to add on state, got to add on other things too. But um, that's the real story here. That is the story that no one will tell you. So um, the federal income tax burden is all shouldered by them. And, and again, this has changed over time. This has changed over time. It wasn't always like that. Because of the child tax credits, the refundable tax credits, earned income tax credits, and all the deductions that we added over the years... Yeah, the wealthy could benefit from it, but as a percentage of your income, it really wipes out the tax liability of anyone below making a certain amount. And this is what's so harmful by importing so many impoverished people from around the world that, again, I mean, in order to be a net contributor, just based on the system we have, you have to be earning, you know, as a family, probably over $80,000 a year, at least at a federal level. Certainly, if you go 50, 60,000, I mean, these people aren't going to be making anywhere near that. Filing jointly, at least. So, uh, so that's the story there. You know, over time, we've had like, I mean, well over 35% that pay absolutely no taxes you go back to the reagan era that number was like 18 percent. so that pie has really grown over time all people that don't feel the pain they just don't pay for it i don't want high taxes i'm just saying like i am not going to fight for more tax cuts and in fact if the democrats try to push for tax increases i mean i am not going to shield people but then not, you know, in other words, I'm not going to put all of our effort into fighting taxes without fighting the socialist entitlement programs. Because it just creates more dependency and it does it on the cheap without people feeling that pain. Now, you might say, all right, Daniel, what about payroll taxes? Now, it is true, more people do pay payroll taxes. But still, still, if you look at, you know, P 
people earning below a certain amount of money, you know, even even for um, even if you factor in payroll taxes, they still get back more than what they put in. That's the reality. So, you know, I don't want to hear this business. Oh, they have to. Be. And, and look, you know, it's not like they get less social security than wealthier wealthier people. Okay, they still they still get it. That's the reality. That is the total reality here. You know, Social Security was not supposed to be means-tested. Think about this. In 1979, just 22.6% of people had a zero-income tax liability. That number actually went down to like 18% in the 80s. Prior to the Bush tax cuts in 2001, that was 27%. Now it's about 40%. Now, I don't know what's going to happen under this tax cut. We have to wait until we get data. And there might be some data out there. If you have it, send it to me. I just haven't seen it yet. But I remember during the tax debate, the Washington Post published an analysis that 47.5% of all tax filers would pay zero in income taxes. At least that was under the House bill. But the House bill was less generous than the final Senate bill. So it could be even more. Because remember, I mean, they doubled the standard deduction, they doubled the child tax credits, and they lowered the rates. Now, they did, again, get rid of some or cap some of the deductions, but still, at that level, you're going to have a lot of these people, unless you're in a really tough you know, state like New Jersey, where you have insane income and property taxes across the state. You know, the bottom line is, we have the most progressive system in the world. Now, yes, there are a lot of European countries that have higher tax rates than America. Overall, the marginal tax rates are higher, but they're spread out over more people. Plus, a lot of it's consumption-based there, too, which everyone has to pay. So that's the reality here. So, you know, I just think we've worked constantly, constantly on this tax issue to our detriment. It was needed during Reagan's time, but to do more and more tax cuts without fixing the other problems, it actually created the worst overall mix of low-tax socialism that greased the skids for the socialism we have today, getting much worse than ever than we ever dreamed even during the Bush years. And yet there's no accountability and there's no liability for anyone because people don't really feel it. We shielded them from it. So I just figured I wanted to give you a little change of pace today. Some of these thoughts to think about in honor of tax day. Oh, and just uh, one point before we close the loop on the tax issue for today. Um, <clears throat> you know, the tax redistribution the fact that the wealthiest 1% pays so much of the tax by wealthiest 5% and you know everyone else doesn't pay that much in federal income taxes, that's only half the equation of the socialist wealth redistribution. You know, CBO reported last year 
they they calculated the degree of wealth di distribution through welfare programs from the wealthy to low income earners after tax redistribution. So you know how we're comparing how much of the income pie various income quintiles earn relative to the amount or the percent of the tax pie that they pay, but it's also the percent of the redistribution pie. So based on 2014 data, this is a little bit old. This is a report from last year. 64% of all income for the bottom quintile was from government wealth, wealth, welfare programs. I, I want you to understand that. You know, when they talk about paying the fair share, 64% of all income for the bottom quintile. So that means the bottom 20% of income earners in this country. 64% of their income came from what? You got it. The, the, the wealthy. Redistribution of wealth through government programs. That was actually up from 57% just the previous year. Why the big jump in one year? Just an interesting fact here. According to the CBO report, it's almost all the result of Obama the Obamacare implementation that year. So that means if we actually had the data for 2018, 2019, with the Obamacare exchanges and Medicaid having grown beyond belief, the redistribution would undoubtedly be more pronounced. I guess now you know where your $2,000 a month premiums are going. Those of you still paying that. In addition to lining the pockets of the insurance cartel, well, this is where it's going. So what's interesting is they did an analysis of the income and tax pie, but also the redistribution pie of entitlement programs. And again, just like as of 1979 when they started tracking this data, at the tax level, the tax system was less progressive, so was the income distribution. They call it the transfer rate. The transfer rate to the lower lowest quintile accounted for 31% of their income in 1979. Now it's 64% of their entire income comes from socialism. And almost all that growth was because of Medicaid and the insane government-driven inflation in healthcare. Till we solve that issue, we will not have a free market economy. So that's the latest on our economy, on taxes. <clears throat> Let's move on to society and culture. So the interesting thing is, in addition to today being tax day, it is also a sad marking of the sixth anniversary of the Boston bombing the Boston Marathon, which was bombed by the Zarnaev brothers, immigrants that we brought in and resettled as refugees. Talk about bogus asylum. We resettled them <clears throat> from Chechnya. And, you know, we just haven't learned the lesson, the lessons of, of any of this stuff where we continue to bring in violent Sharia-compliant individuals in mass from these countries 
and we just don't learn the the lesson. But this was, you know, April 15, 2013. It was, you know, just two two homemade pressure cooker bomber bombs, you know, not not anything real expensive. <clears throat> and it detonated near the finish line, killing three people. Um but, you know, people forget tons of people, hundreds were injured. And uh, including, you know, 16 who lost limbs. So, you know, the lesson of that, unlike 9-11, is it wasn't highly sophisticated. And the lesson of that is if you, to, to me, the Boston bombing is really what's emblematic of America becoming like Europe. You know, even in the most secure area, you could have a once-in-a-century attack. Failure of intel, command and control-style attack, where you don't vet it out, and, you know, that that's what 9-11 is. But these smaller things that go, you know, more unnoticed, that are really not the result of a command and control-style attack that you could vet out with good intel but a societal breakdown that you've imported hundreds of thousands and then eventually millions of Sharia-believing migrants from all over the world, well, what happens? Over time, you have freelance jihadists where there's no way, even if you have a great FBI and whatever, you, you you can't vet that out. There's no way of knowing. Once you let them in the country, you allow them to fester in these neighborhoods. There's just no way of knowing what they could do. And you see that, you know, again, if you have to purchase highly sophisticated things or do things, you know, there's ways we could we could kind of monitor that. But just you know, pressure cooker bombs, pipe bombs, it, 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 it it's it's scary. You know, we do want to live in a, um. We do want to live in a society that is open and it's not like North Korea. So in a free society, once you let these people in in such large numbers, it's going to be very hard to control things like that. Very, very hard. So, um, so that's the story with that. Just a uh, you know very grim marker today of the 60 year anniversary, and have we learned the lessons? And you know you look at our border and you look at our visa system; nothing has really changed much. So, why am I bringing this up today? Aside from it being the sixth anniversary. Something else happened that reminded me of this. We forget that, you know, just like I tell you that every day there's illegal aliens that kill people, <clears throat> that maim or kill people through drunk driving, tons of uh, sexual assaults and child molesters. I mean, the epidemic of child molesters is unbelievable among the illegal immigrant population. I was just speaking with an ICE official off the record about this, and it's it's bad. There's a lot more we don't know. But likewise, every day we have Sharia-driven terrorist attacks in this country. Certainly every week, 
And we don't even know about it because we don't treat it as such. This happens all the time. Ground zero for this really is the Somali community in and around Minneapolis, Minnesota. This is from the UK Daily Mail. A monster did this. Landon is fighting to stay with us every second. Well-wishers donate $315,000 an hour for a five-year-old boy who was critically injured after being thrown off third-floor balcony at Mall of America by a stranger. Okay. I'm sure a lot of you have seen this story over the weekend where you originally had this Reuters article where they said kid fell from balcony. Literally wouldn't mention that he was thrown off by a Somali. Um, and this guy, he was tossed off the balcony on Friday by 24-year-old Emmanuel Deshaun Aranda, who is from the Minneapolis metro area. I have not seen immigration history on him. Um, again, 24 years old, he could easily have been brought here. You know, he could easily be from the earlier wave of Somalis. We started bringing them in the early 90s. So that would put him at, you know, somewhere around, um, you know, 90, 95, 96. Or, yeah, I mean, 94, 95. So uh, it's very likely he was born overseas. But, you know, this is the type of thing we have in the Minneapolis area all the time. Aranda was chased down inside the mall and was taken into custody. Witnesses say a woman at the mall was screaming hysterically after the child was thrown. She was screaming, everyone pray, everyone pray. Oh my God, my baby, someone threw him over the edge. This doesn't come in a vacuum. Now, I don't know if there's a motive here. Um, obviously, the child was in critical condition. I think he will live. Um, they just said there's no relationship between the people, obviously, the victim and the and the assailant. You know, and they're calling it a senseless act. But is it really senseless? Aranda's criminal record includes two convictions in 2015 for obstruction of the legal process interfering with a peace officer as well as a conviction for fifth-degree assault, trespassing, and damage to property. Court records show Aranda was arrested on July 4th, 2015 after police said he matched the description of a man throwing things off the upper level of the mail of of the Mall of uh, America to the lower level. Police say Aranda refused to give his name and resisted arrest. Aranda was also accused of walking into a mall store and sweeping his hand across the display table, breaking glasses. In October 2015, Aranda was accused of throwing glasses in Twin Cities Grill in the mall. The complaint says Aranda approached a woman who was waiting for the restaurant to open and asked her to buy him something. The woman refused, and Aranda allegedly threw a glass of water in her face and a glass of tea that struck her leg. Aranda was under a trespass notice at the time banning him from the mall until July 4th, 2016. So there is a, definitely a criminal history here. I'll have to find out if we have Im immigration history. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is, this is crazy. Yeah, I'm, I'm, ju I'm just actually sending a note here. 
to find out immigration history. But again, it doesn't matter. Even if, even if he was born here, this was all recently brought into this country that should have never, ever, ever been brought in. I, I, I need not extrapolate on the threat of the Somali culture. Not every last person is going to be a problem. But there is a very violent culture in some of these countries, even aside from the Islamic fervor, just naturally there. Um, that is a very big problem. That is a very big problem. And we keep doing this. Now, to be fair, the president has slowed down. I wouldn't say completely shut it off, but, you know, because there are people still seem to be getting in. But at least from the Somali end, we are shutting them off. Although, you know, we're allowing in anyone at our border. I mean, I mean, th folks, this is the joke. The Supreme Court now said very clearly, I mean, we didn't need them to tell us this, that you could shut off all migration from, let's say, Somalia is one of the countries that he shut it off from. So if Somalis come to our border, so what, now you have to let them in? Now there's more of an entitlement at our border? I mean, why can't the president do a travel ban from Guatemala? That's what I understand. But anyway, that that that's the story. It's important to know they are coming from these countries, which we're going to speak about in a minute, as well. There's another story related to this. So one more piece of evidence I want to admit into our court of public opinion. And that is from the other big Somali community. I shouldn't say other because there's multiple communities, but what could be the second most concentrated, Lewiston, Maine. Notice that they're very into seeding cold weather areas. It's kind of interesting. Like, you know, if you're really interested in uh, acclimating people to their surroundings, I mean, why would you take people who live near the equator uh, in Somalia and put them in Minnesota and Maine? But whatever. Um, this is from the Lewiston Sun Journal. Lewiston, Maine, that is. Police, teen charged with manslaughter, says he threw rock during fatal fight. If you remember, this happened last July. Donald Gisty of Lewiston was killed when there was a basically a Somali riot. Now, you know, they didn't want to call it that at the time. It sounds like some like local disturbance. But they finally arrested people. A local teen who told police he threw a rock into a crowd during a fight last summer that struck the head of a man who later died denied a manslaughter charge Thursday. Emmanuel Knurziza, 18, appeared in 8th District Court after he was arrested in a juvenile as a ju juvenile earlier in the day by Maine State Police in Limestone. He was 17 years old at the time of the fight. The felony is punishable in adult court up to 30 years in prison. In addition to Knurziza, a 13-year-old boy and a 23-year-old man, both of Lew Lewiston, were arrested early Thursday in downtown Lewiston in the July 2018 beating death of Donald Gusty near Kennedy Park. The two were charged with misdemeanor assault. Gisty died 
June 15th at Central Maine Medical Center in Lewiston, three days after he was beaten on Knox Street. A medical examiner determined the cause of death to be blunt force trauma that included two significant areas of trauma to Gusti's head and brain. Deputy Medical Examiner Lisa Fuente uh, also noticed a, uh, a patterned injury on Gusti's left shoulder, a broken clavicle, and a fracture to one of his left rear ribs, according to the autopsy report. Police secured a search warrant for a videotape of the June 12th melee that showed a man throwing a rock that struck a man identified as Gisty. Um, and that is the story there. A witness identified for police, not only a person who kicked Gisty in the area where he had suffered a broken clavicle, but also a person, Pierre Musa, Musa who kicked Gisty in the area of his rib cage where he suffered a fracture, according to an affidavit written by Maine State, Maine, Maine State Police Detective John Kyle. Musa Firi, 23, of Lewiston, was arrested and charged with a misdemeanor assault and taken to the county jail in Auburn there. Musafiri also identified Knuranziza in video footage and told police he had thrown a rock that hit Gusti's Gusti while he had been standing. He said Kurnayabadabadu had thrown a second rock while Gusti was lying down. Musafiri told the police the detective he had kicked Gusti while he was lying in the street, identifying himself in the video and another person who was shown kicking Gusti in the clavicle. Now, you, you've, uh, I read a lot from this article from the Lewiston Sun Journal, but here's the money quote. A witness had told police he had seen 30 Somali and Congolese people fighting 15 white people at Knox and Spruce Streets on the night of June 12th. Seven police officers arrived at the scene at about 10.45 p.m. While the fight was in progress, one of the officers had found Gisty lying in Knox Street and bleeding from a head wound. He was able to identify Gisty. A rock that had apparently struck him was lying next to his left leg, according to affidavit. One witness who videotaped a portion of the fight told police a white guy had been running backwards and had stumbled. After righting himself, he was struck in the head with a brick, which caused him to fall to the ground. After he fell, the Somali and Congolese group stomped him for about 10 seconds before they took off running, Kyle wrote in the affidavit. The witnesses said several people were armed with sticks, BB guns, and a bat. Notice, they start out saying there was a fight, but notice it doesn't really look like much of a fight. A guy tripped, and they stomped on him, and it was all the Somalis doing the stomping. No Somali or Congolese seemed to be hurt, Kind of interesting, isn't that? Somehow, I don't think what went on here is a bunch of, quote, white people just decided to just beat these people. I, I just don't think that happened, and they were defending themselves. No, 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 no. So, um, there we go. There we go. Congolese, you know, we've been bringing in a tremendous amount of Congolese recently to this country. Now, it's not a Muslim country per se. It does have a Muslim population. But we've been granting refugee status. We've been bringing a lot of them in. So now we know that they're plagued by some of the same problems as Somalia is. 
Now I'm going to transfer to the border, right? These people were brought in through visas. They were settled as refugees. But I'm going to transfer over to our border now, transition over. Do you know who else is coming into our border? Aside from people from Central America. A lot of people from Central Africa, including Congo. We've been talking about this for a long time. Here we're going to come full circle and tie together health concerns. What we were talking about last week and what we're still investigating. That we're releasing people with communicable diseases into this country. Bob Price is Bob Price from uh, um, Breitbart, Texas. A public health official in Laredo, Texas said 20 Congolese migrants were monitored for Ebola and other diseases in shelters in a city and across the Mexican border, Nuevo Laredo, Tamaulipas. Shortly after his announcement during a Laredo City Council meeting, the World Health Organization considered declaring a global emergency in response to a massive outbreak of Ebola in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Quote, we have eight Congolese right now in one of our shelters and a dozen in Nuevo Laredo. Laredo Health Director Dr. Hector Gonzalez told the Laredo City Councilman George Altgit during council meeting on April 4th, quote, for them, my, for them, my concern was Ebola. A report from this is Breitbart. A report from the World Health Organization states that as of April 10th, there have been more than 1,200 reported cases of Ebola in the Congo, resulting in 764 deaths. Um, yeah, yeah. In Laredo, Dr. Gonzalez said migrants from other countries present other health risks as well. He said they are monitoring migrants for yellow fever and malaria. We don't commonly see these diseases, but we could. Gonzalez said that 2,800 migrants have been released in Laredo at the bus station in the past two and a half months. He said the city government is working with charity organizations to provide health screenings. We've had flu. We've had a couple of potential respiratory infections that could be communicable, but we ruled them out tuberculosis and mumps. TB is an ongoing issue in the state of Texas. The doctor explained between Texas, California, and New York, we've had 50% of cases of TB and the, and the border has the most. Brownsville has the biggest number of cases. Folks, good job, Breitbart, for, you know, because I've been stonewalled by the feds. They went and had a local... Um, county official, I mean, that's really where I need to get information from. Now, yeah, you have, you know, local governments and NGOs working with this, but you don't have the feds screening before they release. I mean, that that's confirmed. Could you imagine the threat? But I just want to come full circle with Congo. So we bring in Congolese to stomp people's brains out, and we bring in Congolese to bring Ebola and yellow fever and malaria into this country. And this impotent, pathetic, impotent administration is just sitting there, oh, I don't know what we could do. You, you could stop them from coming in. And if they do, you hold them in tent city until they voluntarily depart. You could close down immigration. The Supreme Court said that last year. But for health concerns, I mean, back in the day, the court said even states would be within their 
powers to block migrants because health concerns was such a such a dangerous aspect of uncontrolled migration. But this is no longer speculation. We see it. We see it. But notice how these, it's not just Central America we have to worry about. It's Congo as, as well. How many more countries? I just don't know. I don't know how many more countries need to come here from places that are 500 years behind us in medical care. We just let them in. Legally, we would never let in people like this. I mean, not the stomping on heads. That we do. But I mean, health concerns, anyone coming in legally, they do get screened out and you have to, you know, that has to be taken care of. Somehow there's a new entitlement of illegal immigration. Because we're told, no, it's all legal. Because the law says you have to let, no, no, no. The law doesn't say that. So this is where we are. And again, this is a huge threat because like I told you, even if ICE could verify for us that they are, you know, screening everyone, giving them vaccines, Border Patrol definitely doesn't do that. And Border Patrol is directly releasing people. This is from uh, Valley Central, El Paso area uh, uh, article from Thursday. It was actually up on the Drudge Report, I think. Oh, no, no, the, the, this this was actually something else. I can't find it. Um, do I have it here? Either way, there was a story out in Las Cruces, which is, um, it's in New Mexico, but it's kind of like a suburb of El Paso. So another 90 people were released straight up, straight from the border by Border Patrol. I, it, it's It's documented. How in the world could you tell me you have screened this out when you release them that quickly? We know they don't get vaccinations. Now, a lot of this stuff, there are, there's no Ebola vac I mean, vaccine. So, um, yeah, there we are. But the thing is, the symptoms take forever with some of this stuff. Ebola, for example, according to CDC, symptoms may appear anywhere from 2 to 21 days after contact with the virus, with an average of 8 to 10 days. Many common illnesses can have these same symptoms, including flu or malaria. So again, you don't know if they contracted it recently. So there we go. There we go, folks. <sighs> you know, I didn't mean to get so depressing today, but it's depressing me just going over this. It's worse than I even realized, the Congo business. This is really bad. This is really, really bad. So, um... We got a lot more going on this week. I'm going to keep the pressure up you know to find find out the truth about the latest trends about the border you'll be the first to know it 
Hope today's show worked out good for you. Just, you know, kind of change of pace. Wanted to talk about some other issues, which we will do throughout the week. But as always, go to Conservative Review. We're going to have a lot of good articles up you might have missed. I'll link to in show notes. The week has just begun, and we are in the thick of the fight. Thank you so much. God bless y'all. This has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience. Conservative Conscience.